We're the Westlop Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Our second pod in a week, boys. Uh, a little, little bit, I think, less on the global how awesome was it that we just won the West and more... Let's focus on what's going on this weekend. Um, Northwestern heading up to the frigid north of the Twin Cities as we uh, take on the Gophers this weekend. Um, Scuzz, early weather report from the Twin Cities? It's cold, man. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, well, okay, look, there's an ice storm in Cincinnati. It's nicer here than it is there. Uh, but it is it is chilly. It's going to be in the 20s, but supposedly sunny, and that uh, makes a pretty big difference. So I think it'll be. Uh, you know, reasonable out. I think um, I'm probably a bit more worried about myself than the than the team. We'll sure. see how it goes. Sure. Um, <clears throat> interesting. Just you know, we we were talking about this with our, our buddies over at uh, Winning Cures Everything. As, as we look at this this game, the line opened at Northwestern favored by like one and a half two points, and it's now flipped to Minnesota favored by two. And it's real interesting why that might be the case. Um, you know, we wondered uh, earlier this week, were we going to be resting some of the guys who weren't quite healthy? And Fitz came right out on Monday and said, three quarters of our secondary is not playing. No Montre Hardage, no Jared McGee, and and no and no Trey Williams. So, you know, we're we're pretty much all second string on the secondary, like we talked about earlier this week. Um, but even that wasn't enough to to flip the line. It's just something happened overnight. Well, and two, like the, like resting, like those guys may just be hurt. Like they, you know, like there's, I, like, I don't know that those guys would necessarily be playing regardless one way or the other. It is, it's just weird. Like what, like this is the best team in the West versus the worst team in the West. And this is where we remind listeners at home that Minnesota put up 55 on Minnesota. I mean, uh, Illinois put up 55 on Minnesota two weeks ago. Um, I guess. A lot of this is because of kind of the shock of what Minnesota did to Purdue last week. Um, we exhort, you know, we encouraged you all to go and watch the highlights of that Purdue game. So if you did, you saw what that weather was like. Um, it was a bizarre game. I mean, I'm not going to take it away from Minnesota, but um, this is the best team in the West versus the worst team in the West. Fitz has made it abundantly clear that it's the seniors last road game. And it's a really meaningful game, and we plan on I, I, we plan on bringing our A game here. So I don't I don't get it. Yeah, it is weird. And I guess the last you know couple times we've been in Minnesota, this team hasn't played well. There was last year or, or two years ago where I was convinced they were just cold. They looked miserable out there, and the Gophers just kind of browbeat them into submission. You go back two years before that, and you've got you know the Trevor Simeon drives down and ties the game after which Minnesota returns the kickoff for a touchdown. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. The game was a little bit back and forth, but we haven't done great up there. And I think the read on Minnesota is that they are a run first team. They are, I mean, PJ Fleck, very similarly to, to Fitz likes to compress the game, minimize possessions and out execute his opponent and generally does that through the run. You know, we talked about um, 
you know, they, they've had major issues at running back uh, <laughs> this year with both um, Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks, their, their top duo out for the season and emerging in, in their stead has been Muhammad Ibrahim. And he looked great, you know, the last couple of weeks, he, he looked really good against Purdue but I think people are doing the math, and you guys mentioned it a second ago. But I think people are really coming down to to the the defensive secondary for Northwestern because going into the season, there was one thing you knew about Minnesota, or two things, I guess. They had Rodney Smith at running back, and they had Tyler Johnson at receiver. And freshman Rashad Bateman has really exploded onto the scene. He's the number two receiver on the team in yards and catches and touchdowns, and his numbers aren't gaudy. He's averaging like thirteen eight per uh, per catch. But what's interesting, um, and I thought about this point earlier today, and then I was listening to an NFL podcast where they badmouth these guys and they're scouting. So I don't know. We'll take it for what it is. But uh, I read a lot of pro football focus. I really think their stuff is interesting. And they they released an, an article kind of grading out the best true freshman at every position. And um, really exciting. Isaiah Bowser's on that list for Northwestern uh, at the nice. running back. But nice. Minnesota had what I thought were kind of two surprising – uh, guys on this list. One is Zach Anikstad at QB, and he might be on the list simply because there's not that many true freshmen starting QBs. <laughs> he's, he's at the bottom. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that's why he's on the list. <laughs> and his number's pretty his number's pretty far down there. But at receiver, um, well into the mix is is Rashad Bateman. Is you know he's towards the bottom as well. But but the actual grading on him does does uh, pretty decent and. He does seem to present a different type of receiver from uh, from Tyler Johnson. So this is, you know, we, we've talked about teams that have two receivers, two good receivers, um, an ability to, you know, get away from from Montre Hardage gives them a lot of opportunity. Well, now without Hardage on the field, um, I think that maybe the more you look at this, the more you start to think Minnesota's got some really compelling ways they could win this game. I would say so. I mean, they're an unbelievably predictable team, right? And here's where you come back to. It's a combination of they have good guys, but not very many of them. I mean, they're, this is literally, almost literally like a five-player team. It's Tanner Morgan handing the ball off to Muhammad Ibrahim and throwing to Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, and Chris Ottman-Bell. That's it. Like, Minnesota's number four receiver has seven catches. It's three guys. They have 17 receiving touchdowns. 15 of them are Johnson and Bateman. So in in some ways in my head, I think of this as like kind of like Michigan State where it's like you kn- we kind of knew exactly where the ball was going. And I think in that regard, yeah, like the talent is there. But on one hand, I'm kind of like y- you know where it's going to go. So there's that level of predictability. I also believe another good reason, you know, to parallel the Michigan State team, Michigan State was yet another team that couldn't run on us. Um, and I don't believe that Minnesota is going to be able to either. It's not that kind of offense. Um, it's not this Nebraska kind of scheme that they're going to be running out there. They're trying to run Muhammad Ibrahim at you. And that doesn't work against Northwestern. So, right, there's, there's the big problem um, in terms of, right, you're – I think, you know, Vegas or the Sharps are looking at the receivers and saying, well, they've got matchups out there. I get, I get that. 
the flip I, side, I don't, I don't, I don't think Vegas nor the Sharps are betting on anything quite yet. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well. Right. Um, we'll, we'll see what that line does tomorrow night. Fair enough. The flip side is, and I can't stress this enough, where Minnesota diverges from Michigan State is. Minnesota fired their defensive coordinator two weeks ago. And just because they had a good defensive game in an absolute blizzard last week doesn't suddenly make this a good defense. Um, this is not a defense that is just going to have this amazing ability to stop Isaiah Bowser or our ability to throw the ball. This team gave up 55 points to Illinois two weeks ago and then fired their defensive coordinator. If you watch, yes, they had a great game against Purdue, but a lot of that was Blau just like not getting off the bus. Um, he couldn't get started in that weather. And then that was just it. And it's just, you, it's, he's been so hot for so long this season that you forget that, that our relationship with David Blau goes back a long way. And there was a reason he didn't start this season. Um, but he basically just didn't show up for that game for Purdue. And with that combined with just brutal weather, um, Purdue's defense came out and shocked people. But as Scuzz was saying, its forecast is cold but nice right now. And their, like, our ability to score points against this defense is very much there. And I just, you know, I'm, they have good receivers. I'm not seeing NFL receivers over there for Minnesota. And I'm not seeing a guy who can single handedly carry, um, this team on his back. And as an aside, Tanner Morgan, he of six touchdowns, four interceptions on the season thus far, has got to get them the ball. And I think, you know, that we're going to have an ability to pressure him as well. Well, you, you alluded to it. Tanner Morgan does not run with the ball. Uh, he is a throw-only QB. And it will become quickly apparent that they're not able to get a lot on the ground with Ibrahim. I mean, no, nobody's done it against us, including the two best rushing teams in the nation, Wisconsin and Notre Dame. Um, now, and I, that's based on yards per carry, I think, of those two running backs. That's not uh, – th there are other teams you could maybe argue are better. But I digress. Point being, um, when we s stop their running game, the question is, can their passing game still operate effectively? Um a lot of the success that Morgan has had with those receivers is predicated on the idea that Ibrahim is causing problems for defenses and they have to focus on him. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, you know, we make them one dimensional and then all of a sudden our, our defensive ends, you know, Gastown, uh, Sam Dup Miller, they're just going to pin their ears back and say, okay, you, we, you can't run on us. Well, so I think let's our, the key to this. our defense all year has been stopping the run on first down. I think when teams pass against us on first down, they they actually have a lot better um, success because it gets it, it it gets at you know our our bigger weaknesses. But when teams try to run against us on first down, all of a sudden they're in second and third and long, and that's just you know a feast for for our guys on the line. I think you can look at the Iowa game too as instructive of. I think kind of the approaches Hankowitz is going to take in this game too. Now, on one hand, Iowa, of course, was throwing to their tight end a lot, even though it was surprisingly not Noah Fant. But Minnesota's going to go heavy, right? There are going to be 
two receivers on the field and not more than two for a lot of plays, whether Minnesota could run the ball or not, because Minnesota's looking at our secondary and being like, well, we're just going to provide max protection for Morgan, give him as much time to throw as possible. And then it's going to be on us to decide what we want to do. And I think much to our consternation, if you look at the Iowa game plan, you're going to see a lot of the three, three, five out there. If it's third down and Minnesota's got two tight ends out there and two wide receivers, and you're thinking, well, let's go like for like and try to bring some pressure. We were doing that by the very end of that game, but that's not Hankowitz's style. Usually he likes to feel you out and see what, you know, he wants to take the temperature. He wants to stop you on second and third down and then drop Joe Gaziano into the flat and see if you offer him a gift. And he's willing to give up a couple of first downs with really soft coverage just to see if that kind of opportunity is going to present itself. So <clears throat> I expect us, and I think we all do, for us to take away the run. But you are, I think, going to see, especially early on, a couple of plays where Johnson or Bateman catches a ball in space deep in the secondary. Um, and we're like, ugh, like what is going on here? where Morgan is sitting back in a pocket that is a little bit too clean for our liking. There are a lot of guys back in zone and then Morgan finds a hole in the zone and we're all like, uh, again. Um, but it's a process like Hankowitz is doing, he's taking his data. He's seeing what's going on out there and, um, we're going to make adjustments. And Scuzz, you made the point last week that Hankowitz's second half adjustments were great in the Iowa game. And I think that's the same thing you're going to see here too. Um, we're going to take away their run. We're going to see what they're trying to do with their limited receiver core. And then we're going to adjust. And I think when we do, they're going to stop scoring points. Roderick Campbell breakout. <clears throat> hey, he had his breakout moment last week. Maybe he's up for it. I mean, the the one thing I, I think we can all, you know, come to agreement on is Fitz is not going to let this team relax. You know, they're not going to come out and, well, at least you'd like to think that they're not going to come out flat, you know, with the whole, we've got, you know, we clinched what we we came here to clinch. These last two games are completely meaningless. Fitz isn't going to let that happen. I feel like that's the thing Fitz would be really good at building on, you know, like not letting the team rest on their laurels. I feel like Northwestern rarely has the problem of resting on their laurels. We it's really more... had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, well, and I and I think like when we play down to opponents, I think that's more of our style of play. Um, John, you mentioned best in the West versus worst in the be- worst in the West. Nobody should be going into this game thinking we're going to win by more than a score <laughs> or more, right? Because right. like we've just we've seen this tape too many times, but that's different from the team coming out flat and listless and. And and having finally achieved that goal, I mean, you know that everybody in that locker room is feeling the love from the guy next to them. They're they're drinking what Fitz is feeding. This is not a situation where people are like questioning, like, oh man, again, are we doing the right thing? What like like it's worked. It's worked to a T this year. We're six and one in the goddamn Big Ten. And like like that's such a buildable uh, foundation and platform to, to continue to pursue excellence as opposed to a guys, we have to win this, you know, it didn't go well two weeks ago. This is our opportunity. We've got to do it now. Like, like there's, there's just, there's so much less pressure and just, uh, as, as I'm imagining what might be being said, like the, the tenor and the tone and the atmosphere of it is 
by just the nature of what we accomplished last week, so much more positive. And I agree. I don't think Fitz is going to let these guys relax. He's going to push them and challenge them. And I think they're in the mindset to, to embrace that and, and, and make something. Well, of it. As, as you talk well, about the, the foundation, um, I, I would be remiss if we, I didn't tell anyone who has not seen um, the, the foundation that is uh, the kind of the behind the scenes look at Northwestern that uh, Comcast Sportsnet or NBC Chicago I know has or Big Ten Network has, um, but you go go take a look at it and you know it shows some in the locker room stuff uh, you know from before the Iowa game in the middle at halftime and then after the game, just look at the way you know the team is responding to what Fitz is saying and it's a really powerful uh, program and then a really powerful speech and just the way the team is responding to that, just like you said, Fitz is going to have them going. Well, and plus we've like, who would be sitting on the offensive side of the ball, right? Like, I think when everyone's talking about like, who's going to be resting, none of our offensive linemen are going to suddenly like be resting. Um, and Bowser's not going to rest either. And it's funny, like you've got this kind of yin and yang with Bowser and Thorson. Bowser, you've got a back who's, improved exponentially each of the past three weeks who wants to derail that train it's like this the uh, clearly there's a direct correlation between the amount of carries he gets and how how much better he's getting right i mean we've seen the ball carrier vision improve just week to week um and and his relationship with the offensive line improve week to week like you're just looking to keep polishing that up and then on the flip side thorson's you know we need to find that Michigan State quarterback and the guy who was playing down the stretch in the Nebraska game. We've got to find that guy again. And this is the opportunity to do it. And Illinois is the opportunity to do that too. So he's going to be out there like looking to regain his stroke here. Um, and the, I mean, those two things, I mean, it's, it's the offense is still very much like a work in progress in terms of getting to its max potential. Because like we talked about earlier this week, suddenly you realize we've got a bell cow back and a potential NFL quarterback, and neither of them has played at max potential at the same time yet. So I think the offense is searching for that gear right now, and I think Illinois is a perfect opportunity to find it, and I think they're going to go out and do that. This would kind of be the, the point in a regular podcast where we would kind of look around the rest of the Big Ten, uh, look around the rest of the country. It kind of doesn't matter at this point. You know, it's, you know, the only game that matters as far as Northwestern is concerned is next weekend, Michigan v. Ohio State. That determines who we're going to play in the Big Ten championship. You know, what happens this weekend doesn't matter at all. As far as, you know, Michigan or Ohio State goes, as far as we go. So, you know, everyone else sort of jockeying for position for bowl appearances. We'll get to all that down the road. We don't want to take up too much time going through all that. Not a lot of real sexy matchups on the national scene either. So um, let's turn our attention to the hardwood. Uh, basketball has started up. Uh the women have gotten off to a great start. Um, they're ranked now, I believe, after knocking off Duke uh, in, in the opener at the new Welsh Ryan Arena. And uh, the men are off to a nice start as well, uh, 3-0. and uh, 
uh, with a big game. Well, I don't know if it's a big game, but as far as the national media is concerned, this whole, uh, pardon the interruption, uh, Northwestern v. Binghamton, Kornheiser versus Wilbon, uh, happening a Friday evening at uh, the New Welsh Shrine. That's just fun, you know, and, and, you know, with, with Kornheiser and Wilbon going to be on site doing PTI, they'll both be on the call. Uh, doing color commentary for that game. I believe it's on ESPNU. I'm not 100%. I'll have to look that up. But um, we, we had... ESPN News. Oh, it's it ESPN News. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it'll be on national TV for, you know, everyone who gets ESPN News. You'll get a chance to, to watch that. So that'll that'll be a lot of fun. We haven't really had a chance to are, dive... Are we really 3-0? 2-0. 3-0, including McKendry. Okay. Which, you know, whether or not you want to include that... I. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, maybe maybe we should because it's been the most well attended home game thus far. <laughs> true. Good. Good point. Good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, two real games and then the exhibition under our belt. You know, starting to get a bit of a sense of uh, what this basketball team is going to look like. You know, we had a lot of very promising freshmen coming in, and we're starting to see a little bit of an action. Obviously, very much a work in progress still. You know, it's it's early in the season, unless your name is Zion Williamson. Um, you know, I think everyone is trying to figure out what everyone has. So, um, you know, it's it's like if I could encapsulate for for those of you who haven't watched the games, um, and you know, I'm sure you have a couple of various questions on your list on you know questions that you're wondering. One of the easiest ways to sum it up is Pete Nance, Miller, Cop, um, and Ryan Greer combined are playing less minutes a game than Vic Law is playing just by himself. Um, and that, that on one highlights that we're really dipping our toe very gently into the water relative to these freshmen. Um, and also that everything is running through law right now. And to his credit, um, he has responded and, carried us in that American game in the first half when overall as a team, we were pretty garbage offensively. Um, and, but it is a very limited rotation right now. Um, Jordan Ash is nominally a starter. He started both games, but he's playing nine minutes a game. The real ball carrier. And we were kind of talking before the pot about this, which is kind of strange is AJ Turner is the de facto one. He brings the ball up most of the time. Um, and is third on the team in minutes played. And there's a huge fall off between Law, Pardon, and then Turner, and then Ryan Taylor, who is, who is, you know, basically our de facto two now, two guard. But, um, it's, it's interesting. It's, a, it's a team that felt like it didn't have a point guard coming into the season. And now we basically have a point forward bringing the ball up. So it still kind of feels like we don't have a point guard. And of the three freshmen, I certainly would have, ex- would not have expected Ryan Greer to be the highest in terms of minutes, but that's because he plays at a position of need. And I think that's definitely our issue right now is, is exactly what's going on in the backcourt. It's, I feel like we have this conversation every year where before games start, we get really excited about depth and we're like, Oh man, Collins will be able to go, you know, seven, eight, maybe nine or 10 deep this year. And and we did the same thing during the Carmody era. And and it's not just us, like other outlets do the same thing. And then when we get down to brass tacks, it's six dudes, maybe a seventh who, who plays, you know, more frequently, like a, like a tap horn, um, a couple of years ago. But I, you know, it's 
on one sense, this isn't surprising because if you think about AJ Turner's experience before transferring to Northwestern, I know he sat out, uh, but was with the team all of last year. He's the most experienced guy after law and pardon. So in some ways it kind of makes sense that you've got him, um, in that, that key position in, in the, in the post, uh, Bryant McIntosh world. Cause obviously, you know, Jordan Nash has had moments at times. Anthony Gaines spent some time in that spot last year while McIntosh was injured. You, you know, you've got Greer, you've got uh cop is supposed to be a really good ball handler, but especially as the season gets going so that we don't have any, you know, horrific uh, blemishes early on here, you definitely want to go with a steady hand. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think as I look at a lot of other analysis around Northwestern, I I think the coaching staff has a ton of weapons and they're going to need some time to figure out what to do with these guys. And I, and if, if we, I think we talked about this previously, if we don't see a lot of, shifting in the lineups and guys experimenting with different roles during our relatively easy non-conference season. That's a little bit of a red flag for me because I don't, I don't think the coaches quite know what they've got right now and who's going to fit well with whom, especially Greer's a transfer. Ryan Taylor's a a, a grad transfer. Greer's a freshman. Uh, Ryan Taylor's a grad transfer. Um, They've gotten Nance out there a couple times, but it seems like they don't want to go all all in on him, especially because he's such an obvious replacement for law after this season. So you've got to, you don't have like a traditional mix of players on this team. Um, And you have a a huge departure from the backcourt led uh, group of last year where, McIntosh or Lindsay um, had the ball probably what 90% of the time and, and 60% of that was McIntosh. Um, So it, it's not a surprise to me that things are going to be a little touch and go here early on as, as, as they figure out their paces and figure out how they want to, to build this team uh, going forward. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot that's still going to shake out as things currently stand right now. We really only have one guy who's getting to the hoop in any way, and that's Law, because Pardon is a post player to begin with. And I think Turner, who's been just laying bricks out there through the first two games, is still trying to figure out exactly where he fits in here, especially as a guy who's bringing the ball up the court. Um, Taylor, he's made 10 field goals, seven are threes. So that's where he's going to be making his, that's where he's making his money. That's great. Fine. Um, and like you said, I mean, I think, right, there's this rotation as of right now, it's the it, it's five guys, but will it be those five guys later? You know, how is he going to, I mean, Miller Cop, interestingly, I mean, he's been starting. So clearly Collins wants to do more with him, um, but he's only playing 10 minutes a game right now. So you kind of wonder, you know, is he, are his minutes, is he eventually going to kind of slide into that sixth man spot? Um, yeah. A lot of questions, but like you said, the talent is for sure there, and it's it's just got to get shaken out. And and it is one thing that is really fun. It's fun to see Vic Law as an unquestioned alpha dog who's out there trying. I mean, he scored 22 points a game through his first two games. Um, if he keeps at this kind of clip and he keeps hitting his threes, he's close to 40% right now. Um, you know, he's, there's a potential all-Big Ten season in there for him, so I'd love to see that. 
another thing to to kind of keep your eye on and stop me if you've heard this before um Aaron Falzone coming back from injury he should be uh ready to go at some point early this season you'd like to hope yeah yeah we'll we'll see um and that's not a knock on Aaron he's just he's just no it's been bugaboo by injury man it's yeah it sucks for him you know one thing I will say and and this is maybe related to Falzone is that uh in, in in past years the scoring off the bench has been a real missing piece for Northwestern. They, they've they've rarely had um, a lot of offensive success when they put in the second team, if you will. And that's the one other thing I've kind of seen people talking about is that the quality of the depth this year, whether we use it a lot or not, in the past you'd see Northwestern sub out Law and maybe Lindsay or, or somebody's in foul trouble and – you know, Gavin Skelly is leading the charge scoring for the team. And, that, you know, maybe they get a couple buckets. Maybe they get a lucky three. Um, lucky is the wrong term, but, you know, they, they get a three to, to drop. But it's not an offensive scheme that worries you or concerns you. And the scoring depth they have now, assuming that Ryan Taylor continues to develop his stroke, um, assuming that. Uh, Nance and Cop are guys that can find the hoop. There's a lot of potential here for the second unit to still put pressure offensively on the other team and to get more of a fluid rotation. And I, and I think that's why in years past ended up in this this space of only six six guys playing. My hope is that as the team gels and as the coaching staff figures out what they've got in each of these guys, they can get to a place where. Obviously, you know, we have a clear starting unit and maybe our starting unit is a little bit of that like uh, A minus unit. And then we swap out Ash and Cop for, you know, maybe it's Turner and, and Greer. And now that's your your, you know, top five. But you've got a couple of permutations on that that allow guys to get rest. But don't force a huge drop off in scoring. And I don't know, maybe that's wishful thinking, especially like so much I feel like hinges on pardon and law, but um, there's a sense there that we could, we could develop to that by, you know, by mid season. And there, and there's going to be this, 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 what, what lineup goes with what kind of situation? Because one of the things that jumps out of like, if you watch that American tape, a lot of times our lineup is huge. Like, so it's like, there's this trade-off where it's like, on one hand, Ryan Greer's playing 13 and a half minutes a game, just because sometimes you're going to play teams where someone's got to guard a guard. But on the other hand, there were a lot of times, uh, during that game where the shortest guy we had on the floor was six, six and the, and the team was averaging about six, eight across all five positions. So on one hand, you know, you've got, if you've got a lineup out there where it's like law, pardon, Turner, Taylor, and cop. That's a massive group of guys. And sometimes that length and size is going to be enough to shut teams down. And other times teams are going to run around you. And it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of trial and error with all that, I think. Uh, and another thing, you know, just kind of as, as we, you know, move into the season, you know, can't forget about, you know, even next season, you know, uh, I guess early signing started uh, yesterday or today for uh, for basketball for the, 2019 class which is just you know 
boggles the mind that, you know, you do need to start thinking about that. But uh, Robbie Baran, um, the 97th ranked player in the country, uh, signed power forward 6'9 out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so he signed, committed, signed, is, is ready to rock and roll. And then we've also got uh, Boo Booey, or Daniel Booey, I guess is his real name, but he goes by Boo. 6'2 shooting guard out of Bethel, Maine. Um, three-star guy, you know, not uh, the highest ranked as far as, you know, national uh, attention, but, uh, you know, solid player. And, you know, both of them are signed, sealed, and delivered. And I, I think we got one more guy who's going to be uh, signing later on in the year. Uh, is, is my understanding. So we got, you know, an incoming class of three for next year. So as we kind of talk about, you know, the, the f- three or four freshmen coming in this year, we got another three or four next year. So, you know, that, that rotation, you know, as, you know, the Macintosh, the Lindsay, not in the law are, are on their way and the partner on their way out. We got the next crew coming in and, you know, Baran coming in as one of the highest ranked, uh, highest ranked high school seniors to to come into Northwestern. We're stacking up these six nine, six seven, six eight guys. Someone's gonna have to guard point guards. <laughs> Boo Booey is six two one ninety, so me thinks he's gonna get thrown into the fire right away. Um it's it's just funny. I mean like we are stacking up the length right now and it's and it's highly rated length too. I mean Jared Jones and who you know is going to sign in the spring and Varan? These are just these crazy long, you know, slashing guys. Can play two, can play three, can play four. Um, someone's going to have to guard the guards, and that's the one thing we're still trying to figure out. And I think that that's the single most fascinating thing to me. Yeah, I think the last thing I'd, I want to come back to something you started with, Sammy, and that's the Binghamton game tomorrow night. I I really hope that this draws the the fans. Um, we've heard nothing on on Twitter, but about this sparkling new arena and how well uh, the renovations of of Welsh Ryan Arena have been have been um, received. And there was what a close to a sell, uh, not sell out, but a massive crowd for the exhibition game. And then no, New the Orleans exhibition City. game did sell out. Oh, it did sell out. Wow. Yeah, it's well, the exhibition sold out. Well, I, it, I know the New Orleans game was pretty full. It wasn't completely sold out, but I have no idea what the story was with the American game. Yeah, the American game was rough, and maybe it was timing, maybe it was cold. I I don't know, but it was rough, and I really hope that. Um, the excitement of having PTI there and a big, um, a big Northwestern or a big ESPN production. Uh, Will Bond is well known in the Northwestern community, of course. I really hope that that gets folks out and that we uh, we have a good showing there because I think, I think that's a, it's, it's something we've talked a lot of as an underrated factor about this season of being back in our home barn and the excitement that's going to come with that. And if that excitement is not matched by the fandom and the fans showing up um that seems like a real big miss uh in supporting this this exciting group of players i mean not non-conference has always been an issue i mean yeah, just it, it's always been an issue i think where we're, we're really going to notice it is you know when we get into conference play and you know the the number of opposing team fans who normally pack in aren't going to be able to uh because of all of the because the 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 static number of Northwestern fans 
coupled with the reduction in capacity. I think think that that's where we're really going to notice. Speaking of attendance, um, definitely want to mention and a huge shout out to Northwestern faithful Uh, in 48 hours, you know, since the big 10 title game tickets have been on sale, Northwestern has sold out of their 10,000 allotment on top of that. Um, a generous anonymous donor basically said, you know, any Northwestern undergrad who wants to go to the game has a ticket and a ride. Uh, and 3,400 students, that's about 45% of the undergraduate population jumped on that offer. So, uh, come time for a Big Ten title game, 50 plus buses are going to be leaving from Evanston to heading down to Indianapolis, uh, with another 3,400 students to go along with the 10,000 minimum uh, of the Northwestern allotment. So there's going to be plenty of purple in, uh, in Lucas oil stadium. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it means. The fact that we have this early window to buy the tickets and, you know, for the people who didn't get in on the early round to go in on the secondary market, to, to start gobbling all those up Michigan and or Ohio state, or Michigan or Ohio State aren't going to have that same opportunity. I mean, they'll have their allotment, but uh, the fact that we've had a two-week advance, I don't know. Could it be over 50% purple in there? I don't know. It's probably not, but you know. I I think those – I feel like those two teams have known they've been on a collision course for a couple weeks now. And I'll be honest, judging by the uh, availability of rooms in Indianapolis, I am – I'm confident that many a Michigan and Ohio State fan have uh, have per, uh, have at least reserved hotel rooms. Now, maybe you know, obviously, you want to wait to purchase through your through your school um, for allotment tickets, but that's a much harder proposition given the size of their fan bases. So, um, there's a ton of stuff on StubHub right now. It's all pretty expensive, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, if some of that is is being snagged by by michigan and ohio state fans and they figure they can just resell it if it comes down to it in two weeks so i don't know we'll see i i know that you know one of the one of the seminal stories about the rose bowl is from you know player band member fan alike is one walking into that stadium and seeing the purple split down the middle and being blown away um and granted you know different stakes etc but i think it's very clear that Northwestern will be well represented in Indianapolis. I don't think I'm willing to say it's going to be 50 50 yet, but we're not going to get embarrassed. That's for damn sure. Well, to me, the thing, you know, I'd love that 50 50 split, but just based on my experience at the pinstripe bowl and the thing that matters to me the most is the insulation and the fans. I don't care where, how many Michigan and or Ohio state fans are if they're far away from me. And that's, that is the thing that, that drives us nuts about Northwestern home games. It's not so much the, it's not so much the, the number of fans, although that is super annoying, as having a couple sitting right next to you, like the Nebraska fans that we had to have sitting next to us, behind us during that game, and how 
much of a downer that is for the experience of a Northwestern fan. And the Bulls tend not to be that way because of the way the, the tickets are sold, you know. And yes, there is secondary market tickets, but um, – you know, I, I expect that, especially with this allotment going out, that you're going to have this giant block of Northwestern fans all together, which, of course, begs the question, why the heck can it be like that for a regular Northwestern home game? Um, and it, maybe it would be if season ticket holders didn't sell their tickets. I know. So if that's any of you out there, come on, step up, because uh, Sam and I are sick of having some guy stand right behind us and apoplectic that his number one penalized team in the country is committing penalties. <laughs> uh, so, um, but anyway, like I, I digress. I think it's going to be a giant block of purple um, in the Luke. And I think it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. Well, uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for, uh, for this week. Um, head to our website, westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at westlotpirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the central golf lot, uh, flying the red pirate flag. Because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.